who qualifies as the worst missionary in the history of the world. According to Dr. John Whitcomb, it was the prophet Jonah, the prophet that God sent to warn the nation of Assyria in the 8th century before Christ. Isn't it amazing that Jonah, who would even try to escape from the call of God and run away, had no love at all for the Assyrian people, the most horribly cruel nation in the ancient world, the Nazis of the ancient world. And yet, he delivered the message that the Lord had given him for the city of Nineveh. The result of Jonah's preaching is found in Jonah chapter 3, verse 5. So the people of Nineveh believed God and proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them even to the least of them. Our speaker views this as an example of speaking the truth without love. It's still powerful because God's word will never return void to him, but it is not God's ideal, nor is it the most effective way that we can minister the gospel or any of God's word, which is true from the beginning to the end. I'm Wayne Shepherd, inviting you to stay with us today as we listen to part three of a message called Truth is Greater Than Love from our series on Basic Biblical Distinctions. It comes from a series of sermons that Dr. Whitcomb recorded at Grace Bible Church in Elkhart, Indiana. We're so glad to have their permission to present them to a wider audience here on Encounter God's Truth. So let's proceed now to join the congregation assembled to hear the conclusion of Truth is Greater Than Love. We open with a short review. And Jesus said it this way. This is scary. When the Son of Man returns to the earth, will he find the faith, the faith on the earth? Now, that's not faith, the faith. This. Will he find anyone who believes the whole Bible, who teaches the Bible accurately, carefully, faithfully? Genesis to Revelation. Will he find anybody? And I'm sort of saying, Lord, with your help, I want to be one of those. Please. And we say, Lord, help me to be faithful in what I teach to my disciples. Of course, my own biological children, thank the Lord, all six of them know the, know the Lord. And we pray so much that God will help us to entrust to them everything God has given to us without streamlining it, see, minimizing it, compromising it along the way. Okay? Why? Because truth cannot be perpetuated by compromise. It's impossible. And compromise cannot be avoided without separation. And for 1,400 years, God taught Israel, you see, don't compromise with the Gentiles, with the heathen, with the pagan, with their false religion. Don't, 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 don't. And finally, the, Israel, the, the northern ten tribes were carried off into captivity. They've never returned to this day that we know of, for sure because we don't know what tribes are in Israel today. But I hope some of them are there. Okay? They'll be identified when the two witnesses come, you know, in Revelation 11 and so forth. But uh, the, the southern two tribes finally were carried off to Babylon by Nebuchadnezzar because they compromised, compromised the word. See? Now, in the New Testament, over and over and over again, God says, don't you dare compromise my word. So John the Baptist came along and said, you generation of vipers who has warned you to escape the damnation of hell. He was not an ecumenical preacher. <laughs> and people didn't like him very much. And as a result of that, he lost, he finally lost his what? Oh, you say, well, he was just, he wasn't my ideal. I mean, he was too harsh. Oh, really? You know what Jesus said of him? No man ever born of women is greater than John. He was a bright and shining light. He compromised never. Oh, okay. Jesus said, I have come to bring a sword to divide 
people from one another because of truth. Okay? Because I'm going to build my church on this rock of confession that I am the son of the living God on truth. Solid foundation. Okay? Paul at Ephesus, 19.9, when he was tempted to compromise to keep the crowd, because many were opposing his teaching in Ephesus, he separated the disciples, you remember that, and started a separate school at the school of Tyrannus for two years to teach people who were teachable. He lost the crowd, see, and focused on those who were genuinely interested in being taught the word. Don't evaluate a church by how many people come. I'm not saying that a large church is necessarily apostate. I'm just saying be careful about the numbers game. See? Watch those who compromise the word and turn away from them. Watch that. And you people there in Corinth, you better take care of that man who compromised in his life, his testimony for Christ, because he is to be disciplined, confronted. You say, well, Dr. Whitcomb, if we discipline everybody for everything, we would soon lose our members. God says, watch me. I can handle that with you. If you trust me, I will help you to discipline in the line of truth, lovingly, carefully, patiently, and effectively, but only in the truth. And, you know, you just keep going down these passages where Paul over and over again tells people, look, uh, let, let's, let's never, ever play loosely with God's written revelation. And I say, Lord, help me to understand this. Because this is one of the most difficult things a pastor has to do. Pray for your pastor. I mean, this is very hard to confront people with the possibility, what? That they won't accept that and leave the church. That's very, pray for your pastor that he will have courage, faithfulness, diligence to confront known error, see, and give biblical medicine, loving discipline in the truth. And I say, Lord, what about these ecumenical proof texts then? They have Bible, they have a Bible too that they appeal to. And they say, well, well, don't you biblical fundamentalists believe in John 13, which says what? By this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have what? If you have love one for another. Oh, but they have misinterpreted what Jesus meant, you see. Because he goes on chapter after chapter in John 13, John 14, John 15, John 6, and telling you the way you love people is to tell them the truth about God, you see. Now, here's an example of how all men will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Take a, 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 a missionary family. Now, my dear wife Norma and her first husband were faithful, diligent missionaries for 11 years in the Philippines and uh, with her two sons. And of course, when Robert, her husband, came back to study at Grace Seminary, he, he was an outstanding doctoral student. One night he went out job, jogging and dropped dead of a heart attack, left his two boys with no father. The following year, my dear wife died, left me with four, three sons and a daughter. And uh, in 1971, in God's mercy, we merged our two families together, at which time our, our children were 10 and 12 and 13, 14, 15 and 16. We're still recovering after 40 years of this <laughs> in, in, in God's wonderful mercy. But you know what the Filipinos could see with Robert and Norma and their boys? A mutual love they couldn't explain. 
husband, wife, wife, husband, parents, children, children's parents. It wasn't fakey. They watched it. They would say after months of observation, what's your secret? Tell us. Because they were living the light of God's truth, you see, in expressing biblical love one for another. Nobody's going to be attracted to something that is not genuine, that is not real, that's not divine, you see. Because only by the Holy Spirit can there be a genuine home that honors God in mutual relationships. You say, well, Dr. Whitcomb, what, what about this proof text they use in John 17? We'll turn. Look at John 17 with me for a moment. This is one of their favorite verses to show we should compromise, if necessary, to win more people. Really? Well, here's the final prayer of Jesus to his father before he died. High priestly prayer. Look at John 17. Are you there? Look at verse number 11. I am no more in the world. He's talking to his father. And yet they themselves are in the world, my, my disciples. And I come to thee, Holy Father, keep them in thy name, the name which thou hast given me, that they may be one even as we are. That's the favorite verse of the ecumenists. That they may be what? One. Unity. Let's quit fighting, you know, arguing uh, with other groups. Let's all bury our differences and settle on a common denominator, the least, you know, common denominator that we all agree on, so we can have enormous visibility, gigantic unified churches all over the world. Oh, but they left out a couple words here. That they may be one in what? Oh, wait a minute here. Even as we are. Oh, do you think the unity of God the Father with His Son allows for compromise of truth? Of course not. That is a perfect union in truth. That they may be one, yes, as we are. Oh, thank you, Lord. Now, look at verse 21. Are you there? John 17, 21. That they may, may all be one, that they all may be one, even as what? Even as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be in us, that the world may believe that thou didst send me. Okay? Verse 22. And the glory which thou hast given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, just as we are. Verse 23, I and them, thou and me, that they may be perfected in unity, that the world may know that thou dost send me, and thou, thou dost love them, even as thou dost love me. Now, you see how Jesus qualifies this love relationship? Just as I love you, Father, and you love me. In truth, I mean, this is blasphemy, to say that Jesus and the Father compromise truth for their love to each other. Blasphemy. So John 17 turns out to be what? A powerful statement of the absolute infinite importance of what? Truth. There's no love that honors God that compromises truth ever. All right? Now, friends, what can we do to show love to people if we want to reach them for the Lord? Well, let's, let's, uh, let's have a beautiful church building like this so we don't have to sit out in the cold. Thank you. Thank you. That, that, that makes people comfortable to come and hear the truth. That's a loving gesture. Beautiful building. Don't you like this place? Beautiful. Look at this. Wow. Thank you, Lord. And how many appreciate beautiful music in here? Did we hear any tonight? You know, that really attracts some people. Wow. Thank you, Lord. 
for the music. All right, keep going. Oh, how about hospitality? Invite an unsaved neighbor, unsaved loved one to your home. Make, make, make the setting beautiful, comfortable, clean, gracious, kind. And, and guess what? If, if you do that effectively, and Norm is an expert on that, by the way, in our home, given to hospitality. Uh, when you sit down to the meal, is it okay if everything looks good and the food, is it all right to offer a prayer? And the guest doesn't dare get up and stomp out. You got that person trapped in hospitality. Wow. Well, Dr. Wakem, that's not fair. <laughs> God says, be given to hospitality. That's a wonderful way to get the gospel into people who otherwise wouldn't even listen to you. Okay? Keep going. Oh, what's that? Medical missions. That's powerful. Go to a third world country, Africa or wherever in the world, as a skilled, what, doctor, dentist, or whatever. We've known some personally who spent years on mission fields. And, you know, uh, uh, particularly one Christian dentist and his wife go everywhere in the world. And w when, you, when you have your patient, you know, uh, with the mouth open, ready to operate, uh, you give the gospel, the patient can't get away from you. You say, Dr. Whitcomb, that's cruel. <laughs> no, the word soon gets out. That you, it's worth going to that dentist, even if he talks about Jesus, whoever he is, because he's an expert in making you better. A doctor, a dentist, a what? That's in a powerful attraction. I can help you physically, but while I'm helping you, I'm going to tell you something to make you healthy spiritually. Wow! Thank you, God, for medical missions. Okay, we're not just there to make feel, people feel better, but to tell them who Jesus is. Okay. Christian schools, hey, look at that. Many people are so disgusted with the violence and problems in public schools, they'll even send their children to a what? A Christian school. And allow the child to be what? Taught the Bible, if they can at least give the child a decent education. Now, that, that's a big operation. That's a, that's a huge, expensive operation. But in many situations, if it's handled right, it can be powerfully effective, powerful for God, okay? What's that? Christian evidences. Did you know that some people are fascinated with the evidences that might be available from history, science, archaeology, to show that the Bible is literally true? Now, remember, that is not where you start. Because the problem an unbeliever has is not lack of evidences, but a heart problem with God. But you can say, let me show you some things about the Bible that we've discovered that are fascinating to us. And, and talk about anything that's interesting to them or important to them, knowing that that is not the ultimate answer to their need, but a means to just hold their attention, see, to attract them, to listen, to talk. Let's be friends. Let's sit down and talk whatever you're interested in that may be of, of value, okay? You better be sure you know what you're talking about, though, when you say, let's talk about Christian evidences. He may be smarter than you are in terms of history and science and archaeology. And so I say, now, Lord, this, uh, <laughs> this is uh, certainly true, but it's not sufficient. All these things are good, 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 good. But they're not sufficient. See? And I say, Lord, I just... I, I want to know, 
Not even the intelligent design movement, IDM, is sufficient. You say, what, what is that movement? That's a powerful, have you heard about this? It is, swept, it is sweeping the world. Many philosophers and scientists are saying evolution by chance is impossible. Everything in the universe and in the living world is so complex, irreducibly complex. It had to be designed by somebody. All kind, I have all kinds of books by these people, beautiful arguments and evidences that the world was designed by someone. It could never have come about by chance. You say, well, amen, praise the Lord. Uh, how can I join and support the movement? Wait a minute. So sad. The intelligent design movement will never mention the Bible or Jesus. They're ashamed of him. You say, Would you really? Yes, because they feel if we'd mention the Bible or Christ, the scientists, the evolutionists will turn us off. How sad. You know, Jesus said, if you're ashamed of me, I'm ashamed of you. I don't want to be ashamed before him for neglecting him, denying him. And so the IDM movement is very enlightening and very helpful, but it is ext it's extremely limited. In fact, I call it this. It's essential, but infinitely insufficient. Why, even the Pharisees that crucified Jesus believed in the literal creation week and the, that God created the world, you see. God did. The God of the Bible did. So that's infinitely insufficient to say we believe the world was designed by someone, but we won't even discuss who it was. So you see the limitations, friends, of arguing with people to try and prove to people that the Bible is true. If you really love people, don't do that kind of thing. Tell them the whole truth about Jesus Christ the Lord. Appreciate your prayers. I'm finishing a little book on the intelligent design movement. I, I'm going to have a shocking title for this book. Jesus Christ, our intelligent designer. Uh, we're going to tell everybody who he is. Is that okay? Thank you. Thank you. And so I say, now, Lord... Here's what I want to do. I want to speak the truth in love to everyone I meet whose path I may cross, as you permit. So we can grow up in all aspects unto him who is the head, even Christ. Now, friends, let me tell you in conclusion tonight, the worst missionary the world has ever known. Jonah. God said, you go preach to those Ninevites. Jonah said, thank you, no. He said, head east to Nineveh. He said, no, I'm going west. I'm getting away from you. He got into a boat. I mean, he got out in the middle of the Mediterranean, running away from God. Can you imagine anything more stupid than try to run away from God? And by the way, did you know what happened to him? God caught him. <laughs> you, you say, you mean God knew about this? <laughs> And he created a storm, and the sailors were all terrified, crying out to their God, and said to Jonah, why don't you cry? Who's your God? Well, my God, since you asked, is the one who created the heavens and earth and the sea. They said, well, well what are you doing? Well, I, I'm running away from him. Well, you're, you're endangering our lives. What do we do? He said, throw me out, throw me overboard. I'm finished. I'm dead. They did. They threw him overboard. And guess what was under the water? An enormous fish swallowed him and headed back to the Holy Land.
and finally disgorge this unwelcome passenger on the shore. I, I want a videotape of this one. Uh, while he was in the fish, by the way, he had new thoughts about God. <laughs> he started praying toward the temple, it says. Now, how did he know which direction? I guess he said, Lord, I don't know where you are, but show me. <laughs> and guess what happened when he got on shore? He decided, I guess I'll go to Nineveh. But when I get there, I hate every one of those people. Now, let's stop just a minute. You know who the Ninevites were? That's the capital city of what empire? Assyria. The most horribly cruel nation in the ancient world, the Nazis of the ancient world, the way they conquered nations and mistreated their prisoners and devastated many people in Israel, the, the Assyrians, you see. And Jonah said, when I get there, I'm going to say, you have 40 days, 40 days to repent or the city's destroyed. And I hope you won't repent. I hope you'll all be destroyed. I hate every one of you. You see. Well, what happened? They repented. Because, now this is not easy. In the book of Jonah, it doesn't say exactly what he said. They had to believe to be spared. But Jesus will tell us what he said. Now, you don't have to turn if you don't want to, but listen to Matthew 12. Now, this to me is amazing. Now, ready? Matthew 12. Scribes and Pharisees came to Jesus and said, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. Do a miracle. Show who you are. Okay. But he answered and said, An evil, adulterous generation craves for a sign. And yet no sign should be given it but the sign of Jonah the prophet. Now listen. Just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh, now listen, the men of Nineveh shall stand up with this generation at the judgment and shall condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Now, that's the greatest compliment a human being could have. Jesus says, I and my kingdom are greater than who? Than Jonah. Oh, really? You mean Jonah was that great to be compared to Jesus? Yes. Because that proves he must have preached the truth about God. He preached truth, 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 truth. Not love, not in love, truth. And truth was enough to convert the city. From the king on down. They all, I mean, read about it in the book. Jonah was shocked. He went up on a hill and said, Please, Lord, I, I knew what was going to happen. You're, you're a God of mercy. You're a God of, I knew this would happen, but I don't like you. I'm waiting for you to wipe out the city. And then that's how the book ends. Because if I go back to Israel and they find out that the city was spared because of what I said, that's the end of my reputation in Israel. So, Lord... Please, please vindicate my reputation and please wipe out these wicked people. But you know what God does? He loves people. I, ju I just thought I'd mention that. God so loves the what? The world, including Assyrians. And in the Second War, Nazis. Name all the enemies of God. That have, I mean, communists, name everybody. He loves the world. So much, he can't live without them. So he died for them. Now, now friends, I, he loved Nineveh. <laughs> and they all repented <laughs> at the preaching of Jonah. The worst missionary in the history of the world in terms of love. 
You say, you mean, sir, love doesn't matter? Well, many times in my ministry, handing out gospel, I have no chance to show love. I just hand out a tract and say something and I'm gone. Or, you know, speaking on a radio station, I can't love people. I don't even see them many times. But when I have an opportunity, I better show love as, as well as speak truth because that's what he wants me to do. Speak the truth in what? In love. When we get to see Jesus at the bame of the judgment throne, he'll say, dear child, you're going to receive a crown because you not only preach the truth, you preach it in love. The perfect combination. Thank you, Lord. I think I got the point. When all else fails, even love fails, speak the truth. Thank you, dear Father, for your precious book. What a powerful two-edged sword is this book that pierces, that illuminates, that convicts people, that saves people. With that closing prayer, we've finished our study for this week. Thank you for listening to our program, and please remember that you can hear it again at sermonaudio.com slash Whitcomb. Encounter God's Truth is a production of Whitcomb Ministries, and you can visit us online at whitcombministries.org. And for the latest news, keep up to date with us at facebook.com slash Ministries. We'll look at more basic biblical distinctions next time on Encounter God's Truth. Until then, for Dr. John Whitcomb, I'm Wayne Shepherd, concluding today's broadcast with these words from the prayer of the prophet Jonah in Jonah chapter 2. When my soul fainted within me, I remember the Lord, and my prayer came in unto thee in thine holy temple. They that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. But I will sacrifice unto thee with a voice of thanksgiving. I will pay that that I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord.